I also really, really love how Skip calls our our, our metric Raptor. Like it's a like our model is a is a character in He Man or something. It's so great. Raptor. That's like in the Rugrats Reptar. Shout out to all those nineties kids out there that remember this. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is October 19th, 2021, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining us from New York is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I- I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So your hats are restacked in the appropriate collection for the championship series yeah i know i've got a, i've got my final four in here but uh i i set them up before the series so i have the dodgers on top of the braves and the astros on top of the red Sox. so now i just have to say oh the teams on the bottom are the ones that uh are gonna make the world series we think maybe most likely we don't know it makes sense it makes sense and from los angeles is 538 contributor jeff foster hey jeff hello sarah how are you I'm good. Are you uh, are you worried about the Dodgers? You know, noted Dodger fan. Uh, let's let's be clear. Jeff Foster is not a Dodgers fan. He is a uh, neutral observer of that baseball team that he uh, lives in the backyard of. Right. <laughs> Wanted to lead off by saying congratulations to the Chicago Sky. It was a very fun WNBA title matchup and a wild game four with a lot of back and forth. Hey, the Sky, they could uh, they could run it back. We have a story on the website right now about who they're expecting to get back. As long as Candace Parker is on that team, uh they have a shot, in my opinion. We also, we can't start our show until we update our NFL Survivor Pool. We each won last week. Again, well done us. The score stands at Sarah and Jeff at five, Neil at four. And the order this week is Jeff, Neil, Sarah. Jeff, who are you taking? I'm going to take the Rams playing the Lions, who look not great, guys. Not, Lions not are not a good football team. Oh, you don't think Jared Goff is... Uh, it turns out good. it turns out Jared Goff, who was not successful when he was surrounded by talent in every direction and an amazing coach, is even less successful when he's surrounded by very little talent. Um, Interesting how that who works. Thought? <laughs> but you gotta keep your eye on this is the classic Jared Goff revenge game, right? I mean, after being called out by his coach, yeah. It's a Matthew Stafford revenge That's game. True. I don't know what he's getting revenge for, but um, to be honest, yeah, he Detroit has a little bit. So he has he has revenge for all those losses. Yeah. he had on yeah. his career. He has a revenge <laughs> narrative too. You know, like wasting a lot of his career. Although he was thrown to Megatron. You ruined my. He was life. thrown to Megatron <laughs> for some of it. I think we forget that sometimes. Anyway, okay. Well, uh, since Jeff, you were not able to take the Cardinals. I am gonna take the Cardinals. Uh, against Houston. Not sure if Tyrod Taylor will or won't be back. Who knows? Uh, it probably doesn't matter. Uh, our model has the Cardinals at 93%, so I'm, I'm feeling good about them. So clearly they will lose. It's your turn, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, that we've all three of us have now taken the Cardinals. I took them the first week kind of as a joke because they were playing the Vikings, and now they're 6-0. It's like our, maybe it's us that we're making them good, I think. that um, I think that makes sense. I am going to take uh, a team that both of you have taken, uh, the Bucks. The Bucks over Chicago, who also doesn't doesn't look great. Um, did you guys see the Wikipedia page for the Chicago Bears being uh, changed so that the owner was listed as Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. That was I know that's so juvenile, and I laugh every time I see it. I that's the kind of humor that will always score with me. I um I love that. On today's show, we'll discuss our NBA predictions and why our model continues to hate the Lakers. Then we'll talk about the baseball playoffs and the sudden World Series favorite Atlanta Braves. And finally, we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. Believe it or not, we are about to jump into the NBA regular season. Last week, we launched our predictions, which are based on our Raptor player ratings, and some people have had some feelings about it. Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp talked about our model on their show, Undisputed, and whether we're sleeping on a little team called the Los Angeles Lakers. There's a highly respected website called 538 
that has a playoff model, a, a, I'm sorry, not a playoff model, a, a, a projection mm -hmm. model mm -hmm. that predicts the NBA regular season. Where will teams finish? And the model is highly respected, called Raptor. And it's it, the the website says the model does not like the ver this version of the L.A. team. It predicts that it will finish ninth in the regular season, ninth. Can I get some do? Which would make it a play-in team. And the reasons being, Raptor views LeBron James and Anthony Davis as the only net positive players on the roster during the regular season. The model is particularly low on Russell Westbrook, what have I said, but, and Carmelo Anthony. But analytics has never liked those two guys, Skip. Mm, That's nothing new. Yep. Uh, who are all obviously both projected to play sizable roles. But it is notable that L.A. is given a, a better chance of postseason success than its projected win-loss record in, in you know the what? Since, since you since you reading them stats, how about this? This is what I do for both of you guys. Yep. I'll bet you whatever amount of dude that you want, they don't finish night. And I got a hundred bands for five thirty eight. Say they finish better than night. Okay. First of all, we're highly respected guys. That's that's so much better than how Laker fans have been characterizing us yeah, ever I, since I our model came fair. out. They were fair to I us. I know. That was really. What, I felt what like are the Laker like, fans saying? Like, have there been any highlights? Are you getting phone calls into the office? How is this working? <laughs> How are they voicing? Is it angry letters to Nate? I'm not. I don't know if we're getting phone calls since I haven't been in the office. Yeah, I was gonna say. I hope half. they're sending phone um, <laughs> calls to the office, and it's just like rings off the hook forever. Under the age of 35, right, yeah. uses a phone at all. Well, not 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 to call. No, definitely not. No, uh, tweets. Lots of tweets. Oh right. Lots yeah, of angry that's tweets. What I meant. I meant um, yeah, lots of lots of tweets saying um, bringing up our uh, 2016 uh, <laughs> presidential election prediction. Although that's that's like that the response to anything that we tweet. No, 100 percent. Yeah. I also really, really love how Skip calls our our, our metric Raptor like it's a like our model is a is a character in He-Man or something. It's so great. Raptor. That's like in the Rugrats Reptar. <laughs> nice. Nice. Shout out to all those 90s kids out there that remember yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very specific reference. I love it. Um, all right. So, Neil, here's the question. Why is our model so low on the Lakers? And are we taking Shannon Sharp's bet? <laughs> <laughs> are we Are we authorized to? I guess that's that's the question uh, that I had. Is that Can that become like the official podcast bet? I mean, I don't, I don't think know. this podcast has $100,000 to bet Shannon's charts. That was so my that, question. But... <laughs> yeah, would, like who would bankroll it? Certainly not myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh No, but to answer the actual question about the Lakers, they are rated so low because a lot of their players don't look good in our projection, in our metric. <laughs> like it seems uh, that that seems obvious, right? And they do get into it a little bit, but, you know... Russell Westbrook, for instance, is one of the higher rated surrounding players around LeBron and Anthony Davis, and he's a net negative in our projection system, and it really just gets worse from there. Uh, like Carmelo Anthony is projected to be a minus four and a half points per 100 possessions player relative to league average. That's like well below replacement level, meaning that our model thinks that you could go out and get a replacement level forward and plug him in and get better production, significantly better production than Carmelo is projected to give them. And, you know, I don't want to pick on Carmelo because Rajon Rondo is rated super low. Dwight Howard is a negative. Uh, Kent Bazemore is a negative. Like, really, I think if you looked at their roster and if you go to our, our projection page for the Lakers and, and look down the list of players, you cannot find a player who's rated uh, in, in, in the black as opposed to the red uh, in their plus minus other than LeBron and AD. And even those two guys, I think probably... You know, some of the some of the questioning of the model could be down to whether we're too low on those two, because we know that when they play together, um, especially looking back to that championship uh, season a couple of years ago, they seem to sort of create synergies that make the, uh, themselves greater than the sum of their parts. And these are two, you know, future Hall of Famers that we're talking about. So the sum of their parts is already pretty good. Um, and, and instead of, you know, accounting for that, we, we sort of have these 
somewhat bearish projections for them. You know, they're both coming off injuries. LeBron, he's getting up there in terms of his age. You know, we think of him as being this ageless kind of machine that that uh, can kind of constantly carry uh, lesser supporting cast to the NBA Finals. But he's 37. You know, he's coming off a little bit of a down year um, between the injuries and everything. Uh, and the the model does not look kindly on players of that age uh, as they sort of progress going forward. You know, even if you look at the, the top projected players for him uh, in terms of similarity scores, are Karl Malone and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Jabbar, those two guys actually held up comparatively really well for their age and even they started to see pretty rapid declines quickly and some of the other guys on the list like Charles Barkley fell off a cliff after uh, this age Paul Pierce fell off a cliff after this age there aren't that many truly similar players to LeBron so you could take issue with that but like Dr. J uh, fell off the analytics never liked Russell Westbrook and, and Carmelo Anthony that's true, uh, you know, uh, and and but it, but it never hated them quite as much, and I think particularly Carmelo as as it does right now, uh, and and I think that's a testament of this phase of his career that he's in too, you know. Right, but I also I feel like that that like well the analytics never liked them, no, but like what <laughs> they're also like have not contributed to championship teams, like they have also like. What what have they done to prove to to Shannon Sharp that like that they are going to make this team better? I mean, you know, Russ is a polarizing guy and and lots of people have lots of different opinions about him, you know, are triple doubles <laughs> important? Are they worthwhile? Are they are they actually do they make your team better? Um, etc. But like Melo famously has never won a championship. There are, you know, there are times in his career where, you know, he maybe he could have. This is not a time, I think, where we think, oh, Carmelo Anthony will make this Laker team win a championship. If he wins a ring, finally, it will be because he happened to be on a team that won a ring. I don't think anyone's thinking, yes, Melo will make that team, take that team over the hump, right? I mean, are people, are Laker fans really thinking, seeing him as the answer for what what ailed that team last season? No, I don't think they're see him as the answer I think you know honestly this this to me and I'm interested in how much this factors in the model really just comes down to comes down to health I mean we've seen when Davis and and James are on the court this team's scary and I think their ceiling is really high I mean frankly it could be James Anthony Davis Sarah Jeff and Neil on the court and like It's a decent team. And frankly, that will yeah. not be far off from these Lakers. <laughs> I do play some feisty defense, so I maybe play more I'm, defense I than I the play, Lakers. I play some lackadaisical, Harden-esque <laughs> Olay defense. That is not at all surprising. <laughs> not even a little I, bit. I'm not, I'm not interested. It's not fun. <laughs> I don't like running and chasing a guy around who's sweaty and smells bad. You know, I, I'd rather him just take my chances. See if he makes a shot. I like how you threw in, by the way, you, you threw in multiple different adjectives. Like you said, Harden-esque, lackadaisical, and Olay, which is like any of them yeah. sort of sufficed on their own, but the combination of the three, you yeah. really wanted us I, to know just how I, lazy you I've were never defensively. Enjoyed, <laughs> I never enjoyed basketball because of the defense. It just is exhausting and not fun. Um, anyway, that departure from that. I, I do think that injury question is legitimate and mainly on Davis, to be honest, like James, you know, granted he's had some injuries in, in recent years and he is getting old. And I think the difference, you know, between those comps you were making, Neil, is that remember he started a lot younger than most of those guys. And not only was he starting at a younger age, he was playing a ton. Um, yeah. So in terms of his odometer, it's it's you know it's crazy. Astronomically, I actually high. saw a stat uh, today that um, that LeBron has more career regular season minutes played than the entire sum of the Oklahoma City Thunder's whole roster, <laughs> like he himself does. That's wow. nuts. <laughs> anyway, go on, Jeff. That being said, I'm less concerned about his health. Um, I'm actually less concerned about Westbrook's health too. I mean, it, it really comes down to Davis. Um, if he 
can stay on the court and he's healthy in the playoffs. I mean, again, remember last season, this all came down to a war of attrition where every team was suffering injuries. Lakers, obviously no exception there. And the teams like relatively who had the fewest injuries, you know, Bucks and Suns were the ones that um, had the most success. And I think this year will be no different. So I think it it is hard to predict health. I do think we are a little low on them. I, I think, they're an interesting team that has a very high ceiling, even with these, you know, older players who are not being asked to do a ton, but also some like inter- like Malik Monk. I mean, there's like some interesting players in there. I know these are not guys um, the model are particularly high on, but, you know, you could get offensive uh, contributions there. I mean, I think the, the real question is, and this is what, you know, I think we've seen in the preseason is is the defense. Like it does seem like they are going to have, if, if especially if Davis is not playing or he's he he's hurt. I mean, they don't really have. They lost a lot on that end. Yeah, and I think that shows up in the model too, um, where at at current strength in the regular season, so without the postseason adjustments or whatever, we think that they would win their average game one fourteen to one thirteen. You know, they they would score, but then they would give up quite a few uh, points. And and that's also part of it is like, look, the Lakers are not projected to be a bad team. They're projected to be a winning team in the model, but they're not projected to uh, they're, they're only at 50 percent to make the playoffs. Whereas if you look at teams with, you know, a similar rating around them uh, in the East, those teams are at like almost 70% to make the playoffs. So I think also there's a little bit of conference dynamic happening there where the Lakers, you know, the West is just really deep, I think, with with good teams, which is always the case. Uh, and, and so we saw this Lakers team kind of get caught in that numbers game just last year where they had to play in the play-in to make the the real tournament or whatever we're calling the, the playoffs these days. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that like, we saw an example of this team having to kind of fight in kind of a coin flip situation to, to hang on to a playoff spot just a year ago. Can we talk for a minute about the Warriors? Because I actually think that's the team our model is lowest. Like it's kind of flying under the radar. I, I don't know if you're getting a lot of grief from Warriors fans also, but if you just look at pure betting markets, now granted I'll give my normal betting caveat that the betting markets, especially the futures market, is not indicative of who think Vegas thinks it's going to win. It's a reflection of who the public thinks it's going to win. Um, but Golden State is nine to one to win the championship, the third favorite, the same as the Bucks, um, only behind the Lakers, four to one, and and Brooklyn, and we have them down at what nineteen percent chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, that might be the point one percent, point one percent to win the title. That feels low to me. Um, so I'm curious about that. Yeah, I think that might be the the bigger departure than the Lakers even uh, in in terms of uh, you know the model making aberrant picks. I guess you know ones that that differ. Uh, I think for that one, you know, Clay Thompson is always kind of uh, a player that our metrics don't know what to do with I think that that is kind of clear especially him coming off an injury like we have him rated really low like a very negative player and then there's the usual like Andrew Wiggins model has never particularly liked him stats have never particularly liked him I like him though (laughs) even after the the vaccine um (laughs) Incident. He's a positive defender in our model. That's <laughs> yeah. Sort of they, we, interesting. Our model thinks his his offense is actually what's kind of holding him back. But it's it's a little similar to Lakers though, where you look down the list and you see a bunch of players that are not rated positively outside of Steph Curry, and Curry himself carries a negative defensive adjustment, which you know is not totally controversial because he's not known for necessarily being a lockdown defender. But I will say our model was too low on the Warriors last year 
uh, kind of, you know, comparing how they actually finished versus what we thought going into the season. We didn't think that they would be a 500 team. They ended up finishing six games over uh, 500. So I think maybe there's a little bit of that where that was on the basis of a really good defense, which uh, probably surprised most people. They were they were fifth in defense and only 19th on offense. And then you kind of look at the the ratings of the players that they have projected to get minutes and there's some positive defenders Draymond you think about him Kevon Looney uh, but mostly it's like kind of negative defenders and then really counting on Steph for a lot of offense and that's kind of how you get that number uh, coming out of it but yeah I agree with you that that's probably the one where like if I had to choose are we going to be wrong on the Lakers are we going to be wrong on the Warriors probably pick the Warriors actually is the one that I would think we were more likely to be too low on. Yeah, I, I it, the Warriors are an interesting case because we don't know what we're going to get from Clay Thompson. He's been gone for so long. And so the the fan narrative is just, oh, he's going to be back around Christmas and 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 this is going to be, you know, the Splash Brothers again. This is going to be the Warriors of of many of several years ago um when they were so good and we just don't know like that is a possible that's a possibility in the range of outcomes but it's maybe not the most the most realistic one also like you know James Wiseman has not really developed into anything yet he's he's he has like a a Carmelo type (laughs) rating right now which is not not a compliment no, not it's a, a negative four on offense. Yeah. yeah, really, really lowly, really low rating. Right. Um. You know, he's he's out right now. He's hurt, and that like helps them a little bit. Actually, it boosts them. when he comes back. They will drop a little. So yeah, they're they're a strange they're a strange team. And again, it's like how much can a superstar do? Um. And we'll see. I mean, we'll get a little bit of an answer of that, I think, this year when we see what Steph can do with that team kind of kind of alone. I mean, with Draymond, certainly. And, and I don't want to um, underestimate, you know, Draymond's contributions, obviously. But like but but on defense, not on offense. Right. So those points seem like they're only going to come from Steph Curry at the moment. Yeah, and you know, Steph and LeBron are similar in the sense that they're these kind of game-breaking players that are able to sort of make more out of bad situations than than even like a normal good player would be able to. So I guess that would be the argument. And of course, like you said, Sarah, I mean the I think the Splash Brothers return plus Draymond like this is oh, this is like the big 3 of those dynasty teams. Yes, there's no Kevin Durant. There's no Harrison Barnes. Why did I even bring up Harrison Barnes? Uh, <laughs> there, but uh, but there, there's you know these are the cornerstones that have been there the whole time. You get them reunited. There's like this chance that they could sort of um, rekindle that that magic. And yeah, I think that the the Clay Thompson projection, it is like it's really low. Like your career is basically uh, certainly as a meaningful player is over at that point. So it kind of speaks volumes about where we're at now that it's like kind of and we've seen other players come back from these injuries faster. So maybe that's that's something where our model, the injury component, the player similarity component, those are all based on the history of the NBA going back to the merger, you know, 1977. Uh, And so that could be a flaw in the model also where it sort of sees the history of players with these kind of arcs and replicates that for current players but if the timelines for recovery or the longevity of things uh have changed then we would be necessarily too low on these guys because we're sort of using the past as a as a guide and not the the present or the future yeah i think that's right and and it's it's it can be a little scary to be out on a limb with a prediction that no one else has um but i think that's good if we're not if we're not sticking by our our projections just because they're not what you know Vegas has, then then what are What's we doing the here? Point? And yeah. maybe we'll want to, yeah, maybe we'll want to do this completely differently next year if we are really really wrong. And um, you know that's that's okay, that's okay. So it's exciting. So the regular season kicks off tonight. We'll we'll get some actual real non preseason <laughs> NBA basketball, which is very exciting. We are going to take a quick break and be back to talk about baseball. 
over in MLB, we're getting closer and closer to a World Series. In the ALCS, the Red Sox lead the Astros 2-1 on the strength of many Grand Slams. While in the NLCS, the Dodgers will see if they can get a game back tonight from the Braves, who are up 2-0. On the Athletics Rates and Barrels podcast, Britt Giroli talked about the reasons that the Dodgers, who are our World Series favorites basically all season, have fallen behind, especially when it comes to their pitching staff. I think they're still paying for winning that game five over the Giants and having to use the guys they had to use, um, you know, and if they don't win that game on quite a controversial way to win that game, but if they don't win that game, I know that they're not here. I get that. It just seems like all these guys are exhausted from that. And the Braves are capitalizing like the Dodgers pitching, like Max Scherzer said yesterday, I had nothing left. He Mm -hmm. never will admit stuff like that. Like I had nothing left. My arm was dead. I couldn't go anymore. Usually you got to fight that guy to take the ball from him in the middle of a start. That kind of tells you where he's at and perhaps where a good chunk of the Dodgers pitching staff is at at this point in time, honestly. Jeff, do you agree that the Dodgers spent everything they had beating the Giants or can they pick up the pieces from those first two games? I think they, first of all, I think they can totally pick up the pieces. I, I, to me, though, I do think there is that bringing in, you know, I don't like to dwell on one decision by a manager, but bringing in Urias yesterday to me was really interesting. It, it almost sort of just like reeked of a team that was panicking. It's, it, it, it's just kind of like I want to say to Dave Roberts, like you did the one game playoff. You did the, the do or die elimination game with the Giants. You, this, it's a game two of us. You got seven games now. The series is longer. <laughs> Pace yourself a little bit. Yeah, Why does he still think Does he in? still think it's a best of one or a best of five? Right. Not yeah. Right. Not every you can you know not every game is like this. You have a good bullpen. You don't need to bring in a guy. I mean, it just shows how far win loss record has fallen. This guy went twenty and three um, in the regular season. I know we're not supposed to talk about win losses, but can you imagine another era using a guy like that out of the bullpen? It just would be unheard of, um, especially a guy who's slated to start. Uh, you know, in just a couple games. So, you know, he, he was obviously very defensive of it, and he thinks he'll bounce back he, and, be, and still be able to make that start. But it is it does feel like they're, they're, they're trying to squeeze everything in one game, and I, I think they're pressing. And obviously I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're just not hitting. Um, we, we look across across the league to the other, you know, the, the Red Sox, everyone's hitting. You know, they all are. Kiki Hernandez. Actually, I think Kiki Hernandez and Verdugo have more home runs in the postseason than the Dodgers have, two former Dodgers. Oh, no, it's Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson included. Those former Dodgers have more home runs than the current Dodgers. And we're seeing slumping left and right. You know, neither Turner is hurting, obviously. Um, Justin Turner... He's been a little banged up and missed the last game, but um, we're not seeing that much. I mean, Mookie Betts is kind of hitting, but Sager, no one's really, really doing it. And, you know, obviously losing Max Muncy, you know, we might have kind of underestimated how much of a toll that would take on the lineup because it does feel like they could use him a lot right now, um, especially considering the way everyone else is hitting. So, it is possible that these guys never, <laughs> never turn it around and uh, never, you know, find that power stroke. And, and they I think they will lose this series. But I, I do think the odds are that they're going to start connecting on some of these swings um, and, and, you know, getting on base like the way they have in, in the regular season. Yeah, I think that's right. And remember, they have they have been very competitive in these games. These games have kind of come down to little things at the end and and the Braves making just like one more play or, you know, if Chris Taylor doesn't get hung out to dry, uh, you know, in that one particular like rounding second base uh, and then the next inning, if, you know, Ozzie Albies doesn't steal that base, like there's just little tiny little plays that, that kind of everything hinged on. And maybe you could say, well, that's the postseason. But those things are not to me indicative of oh this team is you know suddenly in big trouble any more than you would expect like yeah you're down 2-0 that's not great granted everybody will bring this up we have seen this team come back 
from down against this Braves team. Like, this is not sort of an un, um, unmanageable situation. The Max Muncie thing is another, yet another reason that um, the, the postseason format hurt the Dodgers. Because they were, they had to be fighting till the last day of the season to try to get the top seed in the, in you know, to try to beat the Giants for the NL West and to get that top seed and not have to play the wild card. So, you know, Muncie was playing there in a game that like maybe if they just knew they were going to be, you know, not a wild card team, but just in the playoffs, they uh, they might have rested some of their starters and then Muncie never gets hurt and we're never in this spot. So another reason to be mad about the, the baseball playoff format. Let's talk about the Braves, uh, too, because our model now thinks they're the World Series favorites, giving them a 64% chance to make the World Series and a 33% chance to win it all. Neil, did, did their two walk-off wins puncture some Dodgers mystique here in our model? Yeah, it's a great question because the Dodgers have had this mystique, and they still do to the extent that, yeah, they have a 28, they only only have a 28% chance to win the World Series. But you know what? They only have a 36% chance to make the World Series. So if you actually do those conditional odds, it still comes out to like 78% to win the World Series conditional on making the World Series. So there's still a lot of Dodger mystique in this model, and maybe rightly so. You know, they do have just such a higher rating than any of the other teams left in the field, particularly after the Red Sox with these blowouts over the Astros. That took some points off of of um, Houston. Uh, but yeah, the Braves, I think, have have certainly done what they needed to do in those games, right? That was, I think, big for them was just being able to kind of come out there. They had a, they survived a Max Scherzer start by the Dodgers. Uh, that was big for them. Uh, and so just being able to kind of eke out those 50-50 games and get both of them is why they're in this favored status. And then you look at like why it was happening. I mean, Austin Riley has been great. Uh, he has sort of, I think he's flown under the radar, speaking of guys that maybe we didn't necessarily fully appreciate how good they had been, but he was actually their best position player during the regular season, according to wins above replacement. Better season than Freddie Freeman. Obviously, if Ronald Acuna Jr. plays the whole season, that's probably um, a different story. But Austin Riley was a guy that uh, I think not a lot of people were seeing as sort of the X factor for this Braves team. And he's been great, and he's kind of kept it up into the postseason. Uh, and I also just want to shout out the the starting pitching that they've gotten because uh, Max Freed, Charlie Morton, and Ian Anderson, especially Freed and Anderson, uh, both of those guys have ERAs of 2.25 or lower uh, and sort of the underlying stats to match it. Morton, if anything, he's been a little unlucky on, on balls in play in, in his two start. But those guys have come out and really delivered. And I think the we're probably going to talk about the ALCS in a second and how the starting pitching in that series has also been a huge factor. But I think for the for the Braves, uh, they're, they're, during the postseason, we saw this team last year come in with this totally undermanned uh, rotation and, and pitching staff. And... We knew sooner or later it might come up, uh, might come back to haunt them. And this year, they're just in such a better position from the standpoint of the starting rotation. And they still have a great bullpen as well. So I think that's no coincidence that they've been able to kind of win some of these close games as well uh, when they've gotten these kinds of pitching performances as well. And then, yeah, it's just about timely hitting. And Austin Riley has provided that, I think, <laughs> to say the least. I think we can be forgiven for not seeing Austin Riley coming. He's the rare player who has more war this season than for his career <laughs> because he had negative war coming into this season. So he has, uh, this is baseball reference war, he has 6.1 for his career, 5.5. So uh, this season was a, a bit of a, a bit of an outlier for him. He's only been in the, yeah. in the league for three years. And also, I, I should shout out Eddie Rosario, uh, former twin, having a great uh, postseason coming up huge in, in 
in um, this series as well. He wasn't even on the team. And, and certainly even after they acquired him, he didn't play for them because he was hurt at first. So that's another one where it's like we could be a little forgiven for not seeing Eddie Rosario coming uh, you know, up as, oh, he might be the Braves' you know, second best hitter in this lineup, at least in terms of recent performance uh, down the stretch and in the postseason. We should also talk about the ALCS, an acronym that, according to Michael Bauman of The Ringer, stands for a lack of closure, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, we are, of course, a pro-cheating podcast here. And this is an interesting series ethically to wrap my head around. Yes, the the, <laughs> the Astros are the big cheaters and the villains of baseball, etc. But the Red Sox, of course, also cheated, just in a, a slightly quieter way fewer fewer trash cans involved so neil which cheater has done a better job prospering the red sox or the astros well right now it's the red sox uh in in this recent turn of events i mean they have scored 21 runs in their last two games and hit who knows how many grand slams someone knows i i haven't been uh, able to <laughs> three, count I three yeah. Uh, the, but like, look, it's uncountable. It's a, it's an unknowable number. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they they have come out and just blitzed the Astros and particularly the Astros starters, um, Garcia and Urquidy. They were really counting on at least one of those guys being able to deliver some kind of uh, performance, some kind of innings, not you know getting shelled almost instantly. And it just didn't happen. And I think it's it's interesting that the Astros, that was one area that maybe you could have penciled in as a, a concern spot for them going into the playoffs. Just that they put, they put up good numbers and, and they were seventh in wins above replacement. But if you just look down the list and think about like, okay, who in the postseason are you going to be afraid of facing or who you know, is going to be able to give you those innings and, and those starts when you need it. And you're like, ah, this is really an offensive-based team. And, and even Zach Granke, God bless him, you know, he, he will be starting the next game. Uh, but he didn't have maybe as good a second half, uh, and he was dealing with injuries. Uh, and so now you're just sort of looking at this this starting rotation and thinking like, wow, where are they going to get um, where are they going to get starts from? Quality starts. And then you look at, over on the other side, and like Nate Evaldi has been great. Eduardo Rodriguez had a great start uh, in in game three of of that series. So really, the the one that's that hasn't been as good is Chris Sale. He has a fourteen point seven three ERA uh, across two starts in the postseason so far. Um, so like, if he gets it uh, going and turned around, then really look out. But yeah, I think that that has been a big difference there. Uh, and this Red Sox team, man, they are just hitting the cover off the ball right now. Yeah, everyone's on fire. It's very simple. You know, six six guys with a OPS over over 900. Seven, if you like traditional stats, seven guys batting with an average over 300. Um, it, it, and, and granted, I think that is being helped and, you know, playing in a couple band boxes in this series and playing a team that just has no pitching. I mean, Houston, it, I'm not expecting a lot out of Granky, but they, man, they need him right now, uh, to, to sort of find some old form because they're, they're not getting anything right now. And I think losing McCullers, who's not even, you know, like a lights out ace or anything, but certainly would be, they're feeling feeling that injury right now for sure. Um, so I, I don't really know unless all these guys cool off at once. And like you said, like they don't even need the pitching performances they're getting because they're they're putting up so many runs. Um, but but unless all these guys cool off, like I, I think. I think they're going to take this series. This this Red Sox team is like the definition of a streaky team. You know, remember down the stretch of the regular season, they they finished by sweeping the Nationals, but right before that, in the middle of a of a brutal pennant race with like four teams in the mix, remember, they they lost 5 of 6, including 2 of 3 to the Orioles. 
But before then, they had won seven in a row. They are very streaky. So, like, they can turn it on and win a ton of, you know, and score a ton of runs. Obviously, we've seen that against the Astros. They could also, like, that spigot could also turn off, too, I feel like. Now, maybe it won't, and they'll just keep going through the playoffs here. But um, what a what a funny, streaky team. Yeah, and I don't know if we can continue to expect them, yet yeah, to score seven runs per game. Or over the past couple games, uh, you know, 10, <laughs> 10 runs per game. Why not? Uh, but, yeah, this was one of the better offensive teams. So I think if you're looking for, like, reasons why they might not regress, combined with, like you were saying, Jeff, the pitching situation in Houston has suddenly just turned into a real problem for them. Uh, but yeah, this, this Red Sox lineup, especially the like end of season incarnation, the playoff incarnation of it after they got Schwarber, after he came back, you know, from, from being, um, injured at mid season, you could look at that and be like, this is a dangerous group. I'm worried about this group. Um, it's just going to be a matter of the, the matchup of the pitching between the two teams. But you wouldn't count necessarily on like Houston. They've been scoring in the, in the playoffs, but it just, you know, how do you go up against a team that's going to put, you know, eight runs up on you? And what was it? Two at first two innings of uh, game two. Like, what do you even do at that point? And then suddenly, you know, again, it happens again to a certain extent. Um, last night, you're just behind the eight ball immediately. I think we all kind of collectively, I know I certainly forgot just how good J.D. Martinez can be. I mean, this is a guy, his first year in Boston, I mean, was, uh, he finished fourth in MVP voting with 43 home runs. And, and then, you know, in the pandemic year, last year, he was he was really bad, sort of struggled all year. And then kind of mediocre, I mean, not mediocre, above average, like a good player. I think he was an all-star, but not like the player who was, that we saw when he first got those first two years in Boston, but that player has has returned in the post in the postseason, and it just makes such an impact on that lineup, like just up and down having that threat there. Um, and you know, I, I I could see him continue. I don't think Kiki Hernandez. It's not possible to 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 keep up this pace, but I could see that from Martinez doing what he's doing. I don't know. I think it is funny though. Yeah, that JD Martinez is hitting 423 with a 1311 OPS, and he's not even number one on his own team in right. the postseason. I know. <laughs> Getting yeah, Kiki is outshining him. All right, well, the Red Sox face the Astros again tonight. It's game four at 8 p.m. That is right after the Braves and Dodgers in game three at 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, We, I'm sure, will have a lot more to say about the postseason as it rolls along, but let's take a break for now. We'll be back in a moment for our rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. Neil, what do you have for us? Well, I want to keep on a subject that we have talked about. I'm sure we talked about it last week. We've talked about it quite a bit, which is uh, your favorite hockey team, Sarah, the Seattle Kraken. I'm sure you've watched all of their games religiously. Kraken, the Kraken are in town. Sarah, are you going out to Newark to catch the Kraken? That's tonight, Kraken yeah. Devils tonight? Newark is not in town for me. Uh, you know, short yeah. train ride. Kraken Take the path Devils. train, Sarah. But yes, the the Kraken, they they got blown out by the Flyers last night, six to one. That was not their best game, but they've been competitive otherwise. They they lost in overtime against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mm. They've been competitive aside from that that blowout. Uh, they, they lost in overtime against the Blue Jackets. And then a couple days before that, uh, in their second ever game as an NHL team, they actually got their first win, uh, a 4-3 victory at the Nashville Predators uh, on the 14th. And, and that was really, you know, a special moment whenever you have a team get its first victory. Of course, the comparison that will always be made is the Vegas Golden Knights. They got their first win in their first game, which really set the tone for how their entire uh, expansion season was going to go. But I was thinking about, you know, how long does it take generally for expansion teams to win their first game? Uh, and the numbers can vary a little bit. I was a little surprised, uh, particularly in hockey, looking at it, that these teams 
at least in the current era, since Gary Bettman started going hog wild with expansion in the early 90s, these teams did not take that long to get their first win. Two of the teams that were added uh, since the 90s, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Ottawa Senators, both in 1993, they both won their first game. Uh, the Nashville Predators took two games to get a win. The Florida Panthers and Anaheim Mighty Ducks took three games. So did the Sharks, took three games to get a win. The Columbus Blue Jackets took three games. The, the Atlanta Thrashers, my uh, childhood favorite team that no longer exists, took four games to get its first win. And then, of course, the Minnesota Wild in 2001, they took six games to get their first win. But generally, that so that was the longest uh, drought by a expansion team. What I think is funny, though, is how long it took teams to win their second game in hockey, uh, because that's right now the, the Kraken are looking at two straight losses since their first win. Maybe they can pick it up in this game against the Devils. But it varies really wildly. Uh, so you have a team like the Knights. Again, they won their first game. Then they got their second win in their second game. However, there are teams like I mentioned, the Ottawa Senators. They won their first game in 1993. They did not get their second win, though, until game number 23 of the season. So they either lost or tied their next 21 games leading up to game number 23, which they won. And you saw that with Minnesota also. They, they uh, got their second win. It took 11 games. The San Jose Sharks, it took 17 games to get their second win. So it's still kind of a work in progress for Seattle to see when they pick that up. But I also wanted to look at other sports because I think these can kind of give us some some interesting um, streaks to start existence. The Houston Texans, for instance, the last um, NFL expansion team, they got a win in their first game in 2002. And then they proceeded to lose each of their next five before getting their second win in game number seven. And that's kind of normal for... Um, for NFL expansion teams. The the Jacksonville Jaguars and Carolina Panthers in 1995, they took five and six games respectively to get their first win, but then they won their next each won their next game. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I mean, they take the cake for all expansion teams. So they did not win a single game in their first season of existence. They went 0-14, but then also they took until their 13th game of their second season to win their first game ever as a team. That is beyond any of the other uh, expansion teams. Tom Brady being born on August 3rd, 1977, that was after a whole season of the Bucks not winning a single game, but then also they wouldn't win for months after he, he was, he was several months old by the time that the, that Tampa Bay won its first game as a team. Uh, so yeah, let that sink in. And since we talked about the Chicago Sky winning their championship, uh, first championship in franchise history, we should go back to their initial season in 2006. This is another case of a team winning its first game. You know, they're really excited. This is, you know, the start of something big. And then they would lose each of their next 13 before picking up win number two in game number 15. So we don't know how this is going to play out for the Kraken. You know, they did not win their first game, but they did win their second one, which uh, is is a good feeling uh but like are they gonna just bounce back and win in their uh what would be their fifth game now uh against the devils that would be you know kind of a uh, a, a good start we uh, faster than we've seen for some of the other uh, teams to get their second win uh even if it's not as good as vegas or Maybe they'll be like the 1993 Ottawa Senators and not win until their 23rd game. I don't think that's going to happen. That team tanked on purpose. I think it came out after the season that their owner uh, had, there was like a scandal. This was tanking before there was really like, we called it tanking. Uh, he had, uh, I think gotten, we may have mentioned this by the way in a previous rabbit hole, but I think he got drunk with a reporter which is never a good idea if you own a team. Uh, and or is it the best idea? If maybe you're it's a the reporter. best idea <laughs> for the reporter. Got, uh, lots of scoops coming out of this. Um, but yeah, he admitted uh, that his they had uh, intentionally at least tried to lose the last few games of the season to try to get the number one draft pick. 
you know that that team was bad both unintentionally and intentionally at various points of the season but i think the kraken should be better than that even if they got uh thrashed by the flyers last night yeah that was unfortunate i will say they you know the way they played their first game with coming back from you know giving up a couple early goals and that was like competitive third period anyway um and they it looks like they can score so it feels like they'll i don't think they'll they'll take till their 23rd game for i think i'm happy about it i as much as i like the kraken which is let's be honest not that much (laughs) um although how dare you i like their uniforms they're sharp except the size Um, of the s on the front of the jersey the s is a little too big. The large S. Expansion teams should be terrible. I, it was a nice story with the Knights, but I prefer the old way. There, you you come in a league, you should go to the immediately to the bottom of the league. Like you look at Ottawa is interesting actually because they were awful the first four years. They they didn't win more than twenty games in four years, and then with all those draft picks that came in, you know, the Alexi Yashins and Marion Hosas and all those guys, they turned into like a very quality team that made the playoffs, I think like the next 12 straight years. So in some ways, all that losing, you know, paid off. And I think that that to me should be the normal arc of a, uh, of an expansion team. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a, it's an interesting thing to think about. I assume we'll, we'll talk about this soon with the WNBA, but again, the talent level is so that the WNBA is overflowing with talent you got to think that expansion teams are going to be very good, very yeah, fast there because there's so. so much talent. Um, but that's, I, yeah. That's, yeah. You only need, I mean, you really only need five players. And if that, if you're the Lakers, you only need two players. Um, <laughs> or do you? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, but, but, you know, football is the interesting one. Cause I think some of these expansion football teams, I, I don't think the NFL is planning on expanding I think they're pretty happy with 32, but I mean, it was like dangerous. Like Tim couch that first year in Cleveland or David Carr, those first few years in, in Houston. I mean, like you were putting those players at risk playing on some of those teams. Granted, you know, they did win a couple of games, but just like, you know, the depth and the, the, the amount you need both to, to field a starting roster in terms of like an offensive line, you know, it seems to be the hardest thing to put together, but even, you know, the backups on those teams, you just need so many players. So the team building just becomes such a challenge. And I, it's no surprise that those expansion football teams, although, you know, Jacksonville found success pretty quickly, I guess. All right. Well, we've learned important things in this rabbit hole. So thank you. Thank you for that, Neil. Uh, And that will do it for this week's show. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you are subscribed, please rate and review us on your podcast app. It helps new people discover the show. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.